0: Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Last week and the week before, we were talking about hope displayed. Hope displayed in in various relationships. Uh, This week, my hope is that we will see that hope displayed results in hope explained. Hope displayed results in Hope Explained. You should be seeing as we go across Peter here that it's all just woven together. Like each of these passages, it's kind of like Peter is kind of recapitulating. Every week, there's a little bit of the week before, but then he progresses his argument a little bit further along as he's, as he's calling us to, to stand firm in our faithfulness to Christ in the midst of suffering by clinging to the hope of eternity, uh, there's a question I want to I want us to ask, and I want us to keep it right on the front of our minds as we go through this. If the front of your mind is where you keep things, um, right on the front of our minds as we go through this. This is the question I want I want us to ask and think about this morning. Does anyone ask about our hope? Does anyone ask about our hope? Do our Do our neighbors? Do our coworkers? Does our Family, Do do strangers approach us to inquire about the hope that we have in us? Let's think about that this morning. Look in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, look down at verse 13, and we're going to start reading there. It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you, not not as removal of dirt from, from the body, but as an appeal to God from a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Let's, let's jump into this. So first thing, what compels people to ask about our hope? What compels people to ask about our hope? We've been kind of answering that across this series, right? Like live holy lives in a hostile world. Uh, display our hope. But I want us to see specifically a few examples in this passage. So, So first, we compel people to ask about our hope when we do good, even in the midst of suffering. We compel people to ask about our hope when we do good, Even in the midst of suffering, look back down there at that passage in verse 13. Who is there to harm? This this word harm has the idea of future or ultimate harm. So who is there that can ultimately harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Look down at verse 16. When you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ Maybe put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Being zealous, being devoted to good, what's right, especially in the midst of suffering and mistreatment, will cause people to ask about our hope. Like suffering for a Christian in this world should not be a result of our sinful actions, right? If we suffer according to God's will, may it be for, for doing what's right. Why? So that it will serve the purpose of testifying to our hope. Uh, what reason is given in this passage for us doing this, for doing good in the midst of suffering? Uh, it says our reason for doing this is because we're, we're blessed Look at verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, for doing what is right, you will be blessed. People can harm you temporarily in this life, but ultimately they can't harm you. Why? Because we're blessed. How are we blessed? Uh, We're blessed now in relationship with the Lord. Look back at verse 12 in chapter 3 here. It says, uh, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His face is towards us. He is with us and he sees us and he draws near to us and he hears our prayers and he fills us with his spirit. And that is a blessing. We get To be blessed in relationship with the Lord now in this life. And what other sense are we blessed? We are also, we will be blessed eternally in relationship with the Lord. Uh, Matthew chapter five says this. It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we are blessed both in this life and eternally because of Jesus Christ. Uh, Pastor, theologian, Edmund Clowney, he summarizes it this way. He says, we must understand that suffering is not the opposite of blessing." Suffering is not the opposite of blessing. Those who will receive a heavenly reward are already blessed by the Lord. And Peter emphasizes this. Those who suffer receive the benediction of Christ as a present possession. Their time of suffering has been made a time of blessing. That's amazing. We can do good in the midst of suffering because we have, we will be, we are blessed in relationship with the Lord. Why do you respond kindly to that person who's always trying to take your job because you refuse to cut corners? How can you smile and walk away calmly from that kid that's trying to bully you again? Why do you keep inviting us over to your house, even though we just keep slamming you on our neighborhood Facebook page? (laughs) Because we're blessed in Christ and nothing can ultimately harm us. What compels people to ask about our hope? The fact that we do good even in the midst of suffering. Uh, Next, we compel people to ask about our hope. When we fear no one, even in the midst of suffering, when we fear no one, look, verse 14, again, it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy. So have no fear fear of them them is who those that would harm you in various ways for doing what's right uh, people see our fearlessness and they will ask why uh, particularly our fearlessness in regard to our safety and slander insult and doing what's right when it doesn't make any sense to the world for us to do what's right in those moments. Uh, What reason does this passage give us that we can fear no one, even in the midst of suffering? It gives us this reason, because we fear God and not mankind. Uh, It's really cool. Verses 14 and 15 are are Peter's kind of loose quote of Isaiah chapter eight. Uh, In Isaiah eight, it says this, in verse 12 through 14, it says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts him, you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. We don't fear men because we fear God. Like we trust him. We stand in awe of him. He is our king. He's our Lord. And he reigns. Church. Why do you seem to be so joyful and calm? Even in the midst of things that should scare you. Like in the face of things like loss of relationship and Loss of status or loss of property or your perceived rights or maybe even loss of your life. Why do you seem so calm in the midst of that? Because we fear God and not men. Uh, Think of Peter in this passage who's writing this, okay? So Peter, uh, at one point in time, as he's walking with Jesus, he finds himself around a fire As Jesus is standing trial and a girl asks him if he knows Christ and he denies it in order to save his own hide. And years later, we see him in acts standing before a religious council, trying him in the face of suffering and possibly even death. And what's he say? We fear God and not men. How how did he get there? Well, he learned the fear of the Lord. In fact, what's really cool is Isaiah says, honor Yahweh as holy. And what's Peter do when he quotes this? He says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He makes that connection between Yahweh and Christ. That's why he fears God and not men. He saw firsthand what Jesus did in the life, death, and resurrection. And he experienced his forgiveness even for what happened around that fire. He's learned to fear the Lord. What compels people to ask about our hope? Doing good in the midst of suffering, fearing no one but the Lord in the midst of suffering. And third, we compel people to ask about our hope when we respond gently and respectfully, even in the midst of suffering. We compel people to ask about our hope when we respond gently and respectfully. Look at verse 15. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy and Always be prepared to make a defense to to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Uh, You want something shocking and worthy of asking about in 2021. It's a gentle and respectful answer. I mean, we live in a world where the loudest and the last voices seem to rule. Everything is debated. It's exhausting, even little things. Uh, Recently, I saw there was this big debate. Who has the best spicy chicken? Popeyes, Chick-fil-A, I think McDonald's even got in there. And I'm like, none of them, Zaxby's has by far. The best spicy chicken. And it's a silly example, but it's just kind of symptomatic of the bigger thing. Everything is, it's debated and it's canceled and it's just over and over again contentious. We live in a world where a gentle and respectful answer is often mocked because it's considered naive or simple or even weak. What's really cool. Remember last week we talked about how wives are meant to win their disobedient husbands to the Lord. It says, by their good conduct lived out by this quiet and this peaceful spirit that's cultivated by their hope in the Lord that's lived out in this pure and this reverent conduct. Well, here in this passage, we're now called to the same thing, right? Wives, were are meant to have this apologetic, this testimony to their husbands that was this gentle and quiet spirit that was so powerful that their husbands would ask, and that their husbands could even turn to the Lord because of it, we're now called to that same apologetic in the world. There is supernatural power in the witness of the church as we, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, respond gently and respectfully in our lives, even even to things that are contentious and hateful. And when we do it, we will be asked about our hope. So we compel people to ask about our hope when we do good, when we fear no one, and when we respond gently and respectfully, even in the midst of suffering. Why? Why can we suffer for our hope? How can we persevere in in doing good and in fearing no one but the Lord? and answering gently and respectfully, even when it seems like we shouldn't. This passage gives us two reasons, two reasons. Look down at verse 18. The first reason why we can do this is because of Christ's finished work and example. Because of Christ's finished work and example. Uh, Peter has these beautifully concise descriptions of the gospel throughout this book. And verse 18 is one of those, it's awesome. It says this, this is why we can do this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Why can we do this? Why can we persevere in doing good and in fearing no men even in the midst of suffering because of Christ's finished work. Christ died for us. Our hope is secure because of his finished work on the cross. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've been crucified with him and I've died to myself. And I now live because of him and for him. How can you harm a dead man? You can't because our hope is secure in Christ. Therefore I can persevere in doing what is right and good in fearlessness in the face of of even suffering. And I can respond gently and respectfully because of Jesus. The first reason it gives is Christ's finished work and his example. The second reason this passage gives is, is the example of Noah and our baptism. Like we can suffer for our hope because of The example of Noah here in our baptism, look at this, look at verse 19. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, which is a picture of this, now saves you. Not as a, a removal of dirt from the body, but as a response to God from a good conscience through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I was studying this this week and I came across this quote by Martin Luther. He said, A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage, perhaps than any other in the New Testament. So that I do not know for certain what Peter means. It's like, awesome. So now I'm gonna tackle what I think it means in light of that, okay? Uh, Listen, there are like three faithful, really faithful possibilities for how we could understand this passage in scripture. And I would encourage you, you can look those up in a good study Bible, which just an aside, If you don't have a study Bible, like a good study Bible, I would encourage you to get one. And if you can't afford one, come see me, we we will get you one. Like it's just an incredible tool for you to have as you walk through God's word. Like why? Because of this, like we, we study scripture, not only by ourselves, we study scripture in community. Like God intended it that way. And we also lean heavy into our brothers and sisters in Christ across church history who are gifted and wise about what scripture means. And one way that we can do that is through studying in a good study Bible. So ESV study Bible is a great one. Uh, I'd also, uh, NIV Zondervan study Bible is a good one. Get one of those and use it uh, as you walk through scripture. Side note. So here's what we're gonna do. Look at this passage and follow along with me is what I want to do is I wanna read this in the message. The message is a paraphrase of scripture, that was written by Eugene Peterson, okay? And I just, I think the way he writes about this passage just sums up what's happening here really well. So here it is. He, Christ, went and he proclaimed God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in the prison of judgment because they wouldn't listen. You know, even though God waited patiently all the days that Noah built his ship, only a few were saved then eight to be exact. We're saved from the water by the water and the waters of baptism do that for you not by washing away dirt from your skin, but by presenting you through Jesus' resurrection before God with a clear conscience. Amen. That's beautiful, right? So Christ here, he, he went and proclaimed salvation, by his spirit. And he did that through Noah. Okay, To those who are now spirits confined and suffering in the eternal prison of judgment. Okay? And they're there. They're there now because they didn't obey the message of mercy that was proclaimed to them. In fact, they did the opposite. They mocked and they persecuted Noah for his hope in the Lord. But God, according to his good character, he still waited patiently. In fact, about 120 years for them to have every opportunity to believe. But they didn't. But eight were saved because they placed their trust in the Lord. Look at verse 21 again. Then we get to baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you, right? So the, the water in verse 20 is a picture of the baptism which saves you. You're like, whoa, hold on, Nate. Like, in what sense are you saying that baptism saves? Because we know, we know from Peter and we know from the totality of scripture that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we had nothing to it. So as this says, baptism now saves you. In what sense is that? It's in, it's in this sense. Baptism is a step of obedience. It's, it's a response. It's an appeal to God from a good conscience. That's made possible how? Look at the end of verse 21. Here's how your salvation is made possible. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's through his death and resurrection That we turn from our sins and place our trust in him. And this baptism now is a picture of what's happened in us. The the baptismal waters are are not magical. They just remove dirt from the body. It's, It's water. They don't cleanse us spiritually. But they are symbolic of God's saving work in your life. And just like Noah and his family were saved by God in the ark from the, from the waters of judgment that fell on those who, who mocked God in their unbelief, you have been saved. And you have died to your sins. And you have been raised to walk in newness of life. And baptism is a picture. So why why is this paragraph here, Nate? I think you have to sit back and you have to remember the context, right? The greater context is that Peter is encouraging us to stand firm in our faithfulness to Christ by by clinging to the hope of eternity, all right? And specifically in this this section of Peter, he's calling us to put our hope on display and then to be, ready to explain our hope when we are asked about that. And so this is meant to support those arguments, right? So uh, Wayne Grudem sums it up this way in his commentary in 1 Peter. He writes this, this passage once cleared of, of misunderstanding should also function today as an encouragement to us to be bold in our witness as Noah was. To be confident that though we may be few, God will certainly save us just like he did Noah. And to remind us that just as certainly as the flood eventually came, so final judgment will certainly come to our world as well. And Christ will ultimately triumph over all the evil in the universe. That's why this is in this section. Your baptism is a reminder of salvation and Christ's ultimate victory over sin and death and Satan and our persecutors. Verse 22 tells us Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Why can we persevere in this? Because of the hope that we have because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and because of the example that we see of his faithfulness in the life of Noah. And that was testified to in our baptism. So now how do we explain our hope? How do we explain our hope? Look at verse 15. It's kind of the key verse of this whole passage. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but do this in your hearts Honor Christ the Lord as holy and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to make a defense, to have a response, to explain to anyone who asks you for the reason what is the reason for the hope that is in us? Well, it's right at the beginning of that verse. It's Christ, and He is Lord. He is Lord of this universe, and He is Lord of my life. I live this way because of Jesus. Now, how how do we explain our hope then, Nate? What do we do? We talk about our hope. We talk about Christ. We, we watch for and we're ready for every opportunity that the Lord might provide us to explain our hope. We, we talk about what we know and what we love. Okay, my kids right now, we just watched through all the Star Wars, which I don't even wanna think about how many hours of my life are gone <laughs> in that endeavor but we just watched through the whole thing. And so they are really obsessed with Star Wars right now. They absolutely love it. And they're talking about the different types of lightsabers and Jedi versus Siths. And the other day we came down and they're almost at blows with each other. And I'm like, what is, what's going on? And they're like, we're having a debate, dad. And I had to write this down to even keep it straight. They said, we're having a debate about whether Qui-Gon Jinn started the Clone Wars because he chose to train Anakin Skywalker. What does that even mean? (laughs) Like I have no idea, but they thought it was important enough and they love Star Wars enough that they were ready to talk about this. Do you know and love Jesus enough to talk about him? Like we need to watch for every opportunity that we have to talk about him when we are offered those opportunities, when the Lord places those in front of us, and then we explain our hope when we're given that opportunity. How do I explain my hope, Nate? You just explain the gospel. Biblically, personally, tell your tell your story. Do it gently and respectfully and Patiently over time, reminding, uh, reminding, remembering. There we go. Remembering how patient God has been with us. You might be like, "Well, Nate, I don't know that I know and love Jesus enough to talk about Him in that way." Here's something I can tell you. Rest in the fact that he knows and loves you enough. Talk about his love. Talk about what he's done for you and how he has patiently pursued me and how the righteous one suffered and died in the place of this unrighteous sinner. And he gave me all of his righteousness and he reconciled me to a holy God and he forgave me everything and brought me into a relationship with himself. And now, now I've died to my sin and I've been made alive and I've been given his spirit and I've been given a purpose to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And my, my savior, he's Lord. Like he he reigns. He reigns over this world and he reigns in my heart and he works all things together in my life for his glory and for my good, even even the harsh treatment that I've received at the hands of people on his behalf, maybe even, even through the harsh treatment that you've treated me. How could we not talk about Two questions that I want us to end asking, and then a response for us um, first, are we displaying to people our hope in a way that compels them to ask about it? are we displaying To the people around us in the spheres, in the places, in the spaces that God has sovereignly placed us. Are we displaying to those people our hope in a way that compels them to ask about it? Are we doing good and fearing no one and gentle and respectful in the midst of situations and people that causes people to say, how are they even living that way second question are you watching for and capitalizing on every opportunity to talk about Jesus are you watching for and capitalizing on every opportunity to talk about Christ and what he has done in your life and who he is as king and savior Uh, I want to ask us if we would respond this way this week. As you leave today, I'd ask that you, would, uh, that you would just pray and ask the Lord if he would please once this week sovereignly arrange an opportunity for you to explain the hope that is in you. Lord, just give us one chance this week Lord, help us to live in a way that's compelling, in a way that would cause someone by your power to ask about the hope that is in us, okay? Let's ask him to do that. And then, and then let's ask him if he would help us to be watching for those opportunities and then to take them, okay? Uh, sometimes those windows of opportunities are really, really wide open. I, had, I was sitting at Starbucks one time uh, reading my Bible. I think I was actually preparing for a sermon. And a guy came up, he sat down at my table and he goes, tell me about your God. <laughs> well, that just happened. Wow. <laughs> and it's like, I was a little taken off guard. I'm like, uh, 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 I would love to do that, but I have never had this happen to me before. You know, okay. sometimes those, they're wide open and it's just like, that's it. I can't avoid this opportunity. I'm taking it. Sometimes those windows of opportunity are, are cracked. Just a little. And we need, by the Lord's help, to be watching for them and always ready so that when we see those opportunities, we take them. And maybe, maybe that opportunity is just saying, Jesus is my hope. But we need to be watching for them. Imagine, imagine if this week, God graciously answered all of those prayers and gave us each an opportunity to testify to the goodness and the grace and the hope that resides within us in our savior. Oh, please Lord, right? Church, let's stand firm in our faithfulness to Christ, even in the midst of suffering, by living lives that display our hope and taking every God-ordained opportunity to explain the hope that is in us. Father, uh, I just wanna take a second and just pray for us, Lord, and just first, thank you. (laughs) Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that we have hope because of your son and what... He accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, Lord. Thank you for the reminder of our hope and seeing your faithfulness in the life of Noah and what has been proclaimed in our baptism, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we do not live in this place at this time without hope. Instead, we can rest secure and confident. In you Lord, would you would you graciously this week arrange in each of our lives an opportunity to testify to that hope? Lord, uh, would you help us by your spirit in us to live the type of lives that cause people to ask questions? Would you help us to do good when the world would expect us to do evil? Would you help us to fear you when the world would expect us to fear men? Would you help us to answer gently and respectfully when the world would expect us to respond with hate? would you help us to live that way, Lord, so that we would have the opportunities to point to you. And then would you graciously, even this week, allow us to see the fruit of that in others' lives? Would we see people soften the gospel? Would we see people turn from their sins and trust you? Would we see relationships blossom that we can Uh, now patiently walk in over time, Lord, taking every opportunity to love and to point to you, Lord, would you help us? Thank you that you have not left us alone in doing this. We have your spirit in us and we have this, this faith family going together for your glory in hopes that we would see more and more and more people come to know you and be able to live presently the hope that they now have, Lord. You are so good. I love you.